0: tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you hear someone has sold their business for say 5 million, 10 million, 50 million or more, what's your first thought? And when you think deeper on the topic, do you think about equity value versus enterprise value or valuation metrics of that figure? Today's guest is Ryan Tansom, CEO of Arcona, which guides entrepreneurs and business owners on reaching specific financial goals. We have a wide ranging conversation, but there's one point that really set the path for our discussion. Ryan makes the point that as business owners, There's a difference between your business as a source of a paycheck and your business as a long-term wealth-generating asset. After helping rebuild his family business and achieving an eight-figure sales price, Ryan saw how this process and the intended outcomes for entrepreneurs needs refinement. From this, we discuss why so many entrepreneurs just want out and how this may be a mistake. When reframed and compared to alternatives, just staying in with a solid financial plan, is by far the best path forward. I enjoyed this one, and I think you will as well. Now, enjoy the show. Ryan, welcome to the show. Corey, how are you, man? Yeah, doing great, doing great. I'm actually really excited for our conversation because we just had this pre-call connected on a lot of different angles, and you know, usually we're really focused in, in our conversations. We will hit the finance topics and different areas like that or company building and so on, but I think there's a lot of things we can talk about. So I just want to open it up and have a <laughs> like a, just a, a free-flowing convo. What I do want to do, though, is, is start off with an intro about yourself. It's an interesting backstory and what brought you to Arcona. So I'm going to pass it over to you and give us the background.
1: I'll try and be succinct a couple of minutes. I know it's a, always a tough thing to kind of give a bunch of background in a tight way. but So right now, I'm the current co-founder and uh, I've got a couple other partners, too, of a company called Arcona. We have an educational program called Intentional Growth uh, to view and run your company like a financial asset, and then we have a fractional CFO business as well. And the why I think is one of the big questions that are the big stories that we want to unpack, Corey. And all of this started, and again, so I'm not some like traditional finance person that got here, as I think it might have been mentioned. I had a terrible, I think, financial accounting is my worst grade in college. And I learned this the hard way, but now it's truly my passion. Like business is my sport, and financials are the scoreboard. But how I got here, Corey. So my dad, he's an entrepreneur. So I was in a family business. He mortgaged our house in about two hundred fifty thousand dollars of used Panasonic copiers back in the early nineties. <laughs> and thirty day tours, like let's figure it out. Well, he did. And so over the next, it was about ten years. He scaled up to twenty one million in revenue, one hundred fifteen employees. We had three locations. I worked in another business, man, my whole life. So I was like moving copiers around and doing warehouse stuff. And then I ended up cold calling and uh, doing sales when I was in high school and college. Swore on my grave. I'd never go work for him. Well, lo and behold, the financial crisis hits. I joined him full time in 09, Corey. And at this business or at this time, the business, uh, again, was doing about the 21 million, 115 employees. And I blissfully was like just a salesperson for the first you know six months. My dad pulls me into the bank and the CPA meeting at the end of 09 and he'd been very distant, Corey, from the company. There was a just a buttload of cash flow like in that business at the beginning with, I mean, two thirds of the revenues reoccurring based on maintenance bank financed and like, you know, we were wrapping in a bunch of other stuff. The rest of the third was uh, equipment sales. Well, we lost $950,000 that year. He had been very distant from the company and the GM. It essentially, didn't know the difference between revenue and you know net income or cash flow, and so
2: mm-hmm.
1: we, I spent the next uh, essentially five five and a half years turning the business around with my dad. So new, like essentially the kind of the highlights were you know replace sixty percent of the employees. So I ended up firing fifty some people by the time I was twenty five. We sold two branches for cash, built out a, a we had a new ERP system, so like three hundred grand to get a new system, and then we I built out the document management and manage IT services. And then rebranded so we could go beat it. so head to head with other the business to business technology providers. So it wasn't just print; it was like full technology, manage IT, you know, software automation, that kind of stuff. The Only thing we didn't do was telecom. So got to the point, man, where was, I was I was loving the business. I had like it was kind of my wave of people; they were kind of there for my vision. I was the executive vice president. Everybody re- pretty much reported to me, except that there, there was a dotted line t- from the CFO to my dad, and. We had this, my dad and I had this constant conversation that kept coming back up, Corey, of like, he hates the business, he wants out. I'm like, oh, like, and so there's this this constant, I want out. And again, we mm. could go with that there's a whole saga of a story on like that whole phrase and what that means now. But yeah, you got a question?
0: Well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's a, an ongoing thing for entrepreneurs. Is it worth it? <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I want out and, you know, and this, but then what do they do? And all this kind of stuff. So,
1: hundred percent, man. And like, so what I'll do try as I try and land this plane about the story is like, here's all the shit I went through. And now over the last 10 years, I've learned and now I teach what I wish I would have known. So I could have had different like set of choices based on like the education I I now have. My dad and I couldn't figure out that I want out discussion. He's like, I mean, he just didn't want to talk about copiers or people or like, I mean, he just didn't like the business because he'd been distant for so long. I loved it. And you know, the whole thing is like every week, it's like, I want out. Should we sell or not sell? And it's like, and now I'm going to explain this with today's knowledge of Ryan of we had one stream of cash flow, Corey, and it has to fund the growth, pay the taxes and have enough for distributions for everybody to be happy. Mm. Right. And we had one stream of cash. flow. I wanted to keep reinvesting for growth. And he's like, dude, I don't want to talk about this shit anymore. Like I want to like more distributions and I want to go to the cabin. So like. That really is where the conflict usually starts with partners and family businesses. Like, what to do with the cash flow? Hmm. Pay your taxes, fund the growth. How much in distributions? What are the trade offs based on the long term goal? We didn't have any of this, so we felt trapped because we we were with our lack of knowledge and lack of choices in front of us. Talk to CPAs and attorneys and investment bankers and our peer group and our wealth manager. All these people and like no, like it was like in con like a little microcosm. Like they, people would have really good ideas. But then we walk away to the meeting, like, what the hell does that mean to us? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Let's go sell. Then it was like revenue, gross profit, checking account, revenue, gross profit, checking account. Is how we were managing a twenty million dollars business, which is very common. And we got so sick of those conversations. We decided to sell the business. So I was like, I get it, Dad. Like, I don't want to do seller financing on a big company that's doing mainly print, which is going down. We haven't fully taken over the IT side yet. So sell the business, Corey, in twenty fourteen. Pinned up a couple of local competitors sell the business, pick the offer that was the maximized purchase price, got the company. So I had to go back and I had to call up 90 people that were our employees, salespeople in the field, technicians in the field, in the all company meeting when it's not planned. I still get a stomach ache, right? Mm. Tell them that we sold the business to who it was in everybody's faces. Just look of pure betrayal, honestly, because I had been talking about this vision and we decided to sell. Mm. Well, they all think that we we made $40 million and you and I both know there's this thing called enterprise value, equity value, net proceeds. Yes. <laughs> so net proceeds was not 40 million. Trust me. I, I'd probably be doing a couple other things with my life at this point. But the point is, I went, what the hell? Taxes, debt. They, fought, they only had to hire 33 out of the 60 or 33 out of the 90 employees. I just like my whole baby was dismantled. And then we had to like, our net proceeds was like, there's a whole conversation there of what, what it was. My dad got his retirement amount. I got a chunk of money, but that was the point, Corey, where I was like, what the hell happened? Like here we are, we, we, we grow this business for, you know, my dad would have been at it for a lot longer than I had. And I had been through the, one of the harder parts too. And we didn't like, didn't have this clear picture of all of our choices. And so the Super Bowl we went into, we had kind of let go of control to everybody else, all the advisors and everybody was telling us what to do, or what we shouldn't have done, but we didn't sit down and say, Ryan and Corey want this, this is what we want, and here's how we're going to go get it and build a holistic plan. And so I went and I got actually my Series 65 and I quit and I was like, hey, I'm going to do finance. I didn't even know what that meant.
0: Before we get into that, Ryan, I got to ask though, I want to I want to step back. So you built up the company, had 90 employees, and then you went and, and sold it. and. I want to ask, what would you have done differently in that sale process?
1: I get asked this every day, Corey, and I'm going to try, like, and I want you to push back because, like, there's two ways that I answer this. There's two answers to this question. There's one, which is kind of like a cop out. So that's why I'm going to give my second answer. Okay. I wouldn't do anything differently because I love my life, man. You know what I mean? Like, and like life is a set of choices. Yeah. It, and again, that's why I said it's kind of a cop out, but like, I truly love what I do. I love the, what I, the, I have so passionate. I don't work a day in my life right now.
0: Well, then let me me rephrase it because, yeah, and, and, you know, I appreciate that.
1: That's why I'm going to answer that. I could answer it the second way of like mechanically and strategically what it would have potentially been different.
0: Yes. Not, how would you say? Not on a regret basis, but there's definitely things you learned that people who are going through it or about to go through it or see themselves going through it should know. What are those things? Yeah,
1: exactly. I love it. So I will succinctly answer that then. So I'll, I'm going to layer in a couple concepts, Corey, that are crucial for me now that have helped. Now I can answer this because I couldn't even. There's no way I would have been able to answer this even eight years ago because hmm. I didn't know how to articulate this, right? Because finance is about it's a different language. But if you don't know it, then you can't articulate certain things. So what I now know. Is that most entrepreneurs? Well, oh, I'm just going to say I'll experience here for myself. I'm an EO and I shouldn't, should anybody. <laughs> so that is, I didn't know the difference between our job that we got a W-2 paycheck for and the asset, which is equity that comes with a set of distributions and equity growth. Hmm. That those are two different things. And we had no idea that they were different. And so when people go back and go back to your earlier question, people say, I want out. I'm like, I don't know what your job or your asset. Mm. And then they kind of look at me. I'm like, I don't have anybody that calls me up and says, I want out of my mailbox money of my distributions that are a million bucks that I don't have to work in the job for. They usually call me and say, I want out because I'm stressed out, burnt out employees, supply chain, interest rates, and blah, 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 blah. W the W-4, the, the basically the paycheck. Oh yeah. The, the w- it's the equivalent. Exactly. It's the job, right? Yeah. You get wages, but you don't have to work at your assets. So I have Apple stock. I don't know. I don't work at the genius bar. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and private equity exists and the the whole philosophy is predicated on we buy assets, companies, they grow in value and we sell them. They don't have, they don't do that so they can be the help desk manager. (laughs) They, they, They do that for the equity growth. So the first thing I would have done differently is my dad and I would have separated those two and say, okay. Corey actually wanted out of his job, not out of the asset particularly. We didn't have the visibility into what the asset was worth, how like, and so this is the other concept that is very clear to me now. It wasn't back then, Corey, is we did not have a target equity valuation at a point in time that we were driving for. So there was no decision-making framework of the trade-offs that we mm. have to have. Because like if you think about it, it's really this freaking simple, dude. Like you have a target equity valuation. Let's say it's ten million dollar equity, not revenue. I do not care about revenue. I had a twenty million dollar business that was worth nothing and lost nine hundred grand. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who cares? Who cares? Like if someone goes, I have one hundred employees and twenty million in revenue. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of headaches. How much is the, the thing actually worth? Yeah. So we have to back into so like that target equity valuation. Let's say it's ten million in twenty thirty. Then today, like the choices my dad and I had that were not clear that created conflict or the lack of clarity was if Corey Tanson. Let's say I just make this up. My dad needed two hundred fifty grand in cash flow, so let's say he stopped his income from his wages and truly wanted out of his job. Hey, can I maintain my cash, my income without a job? Oh, like if we could get visibility into that, sure. Okay, if let's say he has two hundred fifty grand, well. We still need to pay our taxes every year. So does that impact our ability to pay taxes? Oh, no, it does not. So now we have his desired distributions with taxes. My question then as the CEO would have been if I would have kept it, do I have enough money to fund the growth plan to get to my target equity valuation?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We did not have this kind of conversation, Corey. It was, I want out, I want more cash flow. I want my, I want my income to be bigger each year and I want to reduce expenses. Hmm. And it's like, because it was the job and the asset all commingled into one thing, versus sitting down and saying, okay, here's the game, job, asset, distributions, cash flow, equity value, like how does all this fit together? Now, what does Corey want? What does Ryan want? Then we have like this framework for discussions. Yeah. And so what we what we would have done, Corey, is I would have gotten him out of his job, maintained his income, continued funding whatever growth I knew I had available with cap- capital available to me tied that to that equity valuation where along that, let's say it was between here and 2030, there would have been a point in time where I could have started like a seller's note or a funding, or I could have gone and get bank financing or private equity or an ESOP capitalization to get my dad more money faster while still staying on track towards my target equity valuation.
0: And, and building the asset. Yep. Building and maintaining the asset. So that's what I would have done differently. I would have kept the asset because take it from me, man, you sell a
1: business you pay the taxes, you pay the debt, you do all that shit, and then you all of a sudden you have what's left. I call it like the plinko, the net proceeds. It's way harder to rebuild than to leverage that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, right? Like we were in a position with a piece of real estate where we looked and we said, "Let's sell this." The market is just screaming hot, right? This is mm-hmm. six months a year ago, and we actually made an, emo- an emotional decision. We did, we made we we looked at everything, but we made an emotional decision not to. But when we came back to it, there was a question there, and I'm not talking massive sums of money, but there was a question of what do we do with the money, <laughs> right? How do we replace what that is to us? Yeah. Try replacing a seven-figure cash flow. Yeah. From another asset, like from just starting out of, out of nowhere, and, oh. and you look and you're going, "Ooh, that's a lot of lot of kind of sweat equity that was built up there." yep and do you want do you have the energy to go do that again, so that's a a really astute point, huh? well,
1: and to your kind of like in how i like it's kind of like this I'm kinda thinking about this on the fly. It's like you go from like as a journey of a, like a business owner entrepreneur, it's like I'm a manager, so I'm like truly I've got a job while I'm also doing all this stuff, but I'm an owner, I'm an owner of a job mm. and then you kind of become like this. Leader, entrepreneur, we're like, hey, you're getting some excess distribution, but you don't know how much the assets worth. Then you can kind of have this transition of like, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got this asset. So I've separated my job from the asset. And now I want to focus on equity growth. But then you kind of get to this next level, which I would have absolutely just very clearly answer your question. It's family office, man. It's capital deployment and allocation, the whole point of your show. Like, right. I want a rate of return based the, and my expectations should be aligned with the risk that I'm taking with a diversified portfolio. And so, like, as you shift up, we would have taken my company, our family business, and it would have been one of the assets as I continue to diversify or deploy capital in other areas. And the reason I said I wouldn't have changed anything, because the reality of that, actually happening would have been like zero because Corey, I didn't understand anything about money. Yeah. yeah. Until that. So like I wouldn't have done that because I would have just sold more copiers and probably made really terrible decisions.
0: <laughs> well, I mean that's kind of I guess that's one of the beautiful things about just being in business for yourself is the life learning, the life lessons that come along with it, right? And you wouldn't have got that without being in it. And now that you see it, right? It's it's, you know, there's the the value of that. So I get where you're coming from. I always look back and I've had my ass handed to me a few times in the the world of business. And would I go change that?
1: It's hard to tell, right? (laughs) I hear you, man. I I just got done with another partnership buyout. So I've been through multiple partnerships since we sold. And I called someone that I highly respect. And she's like, Hey, Ryan, you're now more valuable to the world. And I'm like, thanks Katina. (laughs) That's, That's like, but it's, it's true. Like these war stories, I mean, this is why I'm talking to you right now. And like, what I also think is very unique, I'm going to do this for the uh, listeners. I've got like two circles hand, uh, with my hands. It's like I'm trying to make a Venn diagram. Yeah. What I've found that most, so if one of the circles is operations, so many entrepreneurs understand operations, like how to do things, right? Like, so they're like the doer. And then there's the other circle, which is finance. And if you intersect those two, like a Venn diagram, there's like 1% that understand both. Yeah. So like, that's really where I, because I operated, then I learned numbers afterwards. And so like, when I think about that, Corey, what that means is like, if you think about business and real estate or all this stuff operationally and financially, like so many people on the finance side, they, they miss out like when private equity, I mean, how many people I've interacted with in PE, everything looks beautiful on a spreadsheet, but like what happens like when that spreadsheet is predicated on you firing this the VP of sales who's got a drug problem. And when they go to the treatment, the sales drop off for 90 days. Should he do that or not? Well, the answer is not in the spreadsheet. You have to like yeah. have the like, you <laughs> have to like, so it's the both back and forth to say, Hey, if I do the like, what is the probability of actually accomplishing my strategic plan operationally? And then the results of the financials to say, Is it worth it or not? is a scorecard. So I, I say all that because it's. Getting that understanding of both finance and operations, I think is crucial for a lot of people.
0: Hmm. When I have discussions with entrepreneurs and, and financiers on the podcast here, you know, a big focus of, of it is like, I mean, there's so often entrepreneurs can be signing a death warrant to their company and not understanding the financial situation they're in. So they go and take in new investment, whether it's debt or equity. And I mean, like nine times out of 10, the worst thing you can do is, is bring in an equity investor. Because you're getting married and it's harder to get divorced from an investor than it is from your spouse. You know, so there's things there. So the, I can see the, you know, the 1% understand that both finance and operations. I see what you're saying.
1: Here's an example, Corey. It's like, I've got a client, they're in construction, which I will, I, I, depending on how geeky you want to get. I mean, like, so can construction, they're like a, let's let's for easy numbers, say they're a $50 million firm. Yeah, Their working capital is very high. So the, the amount of money that they need to keep in a checking account to pay their bills, pay their vendors, make sure all the shit's going well, it has to be pretty high. Yeah. Well, their beautiful CPA gave them a really good recommendation last, last, it was a year ago today, pretty much around this month. Buy a bunch of stuff because you got a huge tax bill. Well, they did. They bought a building. They put a bunch of rentals. They, they renovated the thing a ton. So they ended up putting like 5 million bucks between the purchase and the and the, the renovations they ran out of working capital in May this year hmm. because they didn't understand their strategies yep. and the necessary funding that they needed. So like as they grow, working capital needs to be higher. Well, you get like two big projects. Now they can't afford to buy anything. Well, good thing you got, you saved 200 grand at the end of 2021 because your CPA told you to versus saying, hey, I have to focus on the operations first and how that's going to get me towards my target equity valuation. And how is the funding going to be needed to accomplish those strategies? So, like, they didn't know that they had this
0: allocated. Let's get into a bit of that. Like, when you're working now with your clients through Arcona, future planning, you know, how far out do you look? And what are the variables and the things that you discuss? And what are the items you put on paper for, for building a company or building towards a plan, whether it's five years or 10 years out, how do you frame that up? And what do you discuss?
1: I start with, Hey Corey, let's just do role play for a second. Corey, what's your goal? I'm not going to like, not going to even engage. And it's not revenue. Like we've already discussed. Cause that doesn't mean anything like at all. Yeah. yeah. And so once we've like crossed this mammoth of a hurdle of like, Corey has to tell me What is the target equity valuation you want at a point in time to make all this worth it? We're not even necessarily saying selling, but like you're going to have to have a certain wealth creation, Mm. right? That you, to make it all worth it, right? Yeah. So you're going to say, okay, well, this is the target equity valuation. The next thing is, what what income do you want, Corey, along the way? Yeah. And you might say, well, the salary and distributions. Well, what if between salary and distributions and taxes, we can't afford to fund that plan? That's, that's again, then I look at you and say, Corey, you can't do that. So instead of 2030, it's got to be 2035. And this is not me. I'm not like telling people what to do. I hate telling people what to do because entrepreneurs take all the risks so they can design their own plan. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you how the world works. Like mathematically, you can't get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying.
1: <laughs> so then we like just reverse engineer the three financial statements to say like, what is the practicality of the goal? So essentially the like, step one is like, practicality of the goal and the expectations of income and funding of that goal. So then as far as like, I'm going to flip it to like more mechanical of today. So like it's budgeting, man. Like, so then like, let's say if we have that rough plan to say, Hey, this is possible. Expectations are all kind of line. Like most entrepreneurs, my dad and I include as revenue, gross profit checking account, solve for cash flow at the end of the year. That's all they're doing. Hmm. Instead of saying, "How much do I want?" So it's if, if it's a million dollars, let's say taxes are three hundred grand. My expectations were let's say they're two hundred grand for distributions. We have a half million bucks. Yep. What are you gonna do with it? Yep. What are you gonna do with it? Right. Everybody knows this. This is the question, but no one has the clear answer of what they're gonna do with it and whether it's gonna grow value or not. So the next step is say, okay, well we have to build a plan for next year. So like we just all of our clients just got it done with budgeting season. And budgeting is not, what did we do last year? Divide by 12, add 5%. <laughs> like the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not a budget. That is not a budget. It's not a plan because a plan or a budget is really a business plan broken out in detail for next year. So like all the ideas that entrepreneurs have of like, I want to hire a CEO in June next year. Me too. Can you afford it? How does it impact your plan? No one has the ability to answer that usually. Right. So like that, like most people have the questions. They know what questions they ask. So like, I want... To hire a CEO next year, I want to launch a new product in November of next year. How does it, like, do we have the half a million dollars? And what month do we have? What's our cash position in every month? So the best the best advice I would give, and I, I did this too with our business before we sold it, is for budgeting, start with sales. So you start with your sales or your marketing, whoever's driving revenue. Yep. And you sit down and you say, month by month by month, Corey, next year, what are you going to sell? And if it's seasonal, we have to take that into account. So I'm going to give an example. I've got a commercial cleaning client they do a lot of schools. Hmm. Schools don't, they're not open in the summer, right? Yeah. So if you're planning on hiring that CEO and doing that project or acquisition in June next year, when you have less cash than normal, like wouldn't you like to know your cash position in June next year? Like my point is like, so every month, so what we're going to do is month by month by month, say of each GL count of product and service, what are you going to sell? Because each product and service might have different attributes of margin and cash flow conversion cycles. To get a little geeky, right? So like each product and service has different attributes of when the money comes in and out. So we do month by month by month of everything we're gonna think we're gonna sell. And then you go to the person responsible for the cost of goods, whether it's payroll or if it's inventory, or like I don't care if you're a manufacturer, e-commerce, or what the hell you are. The person that's responsible for the cost of goods and you delivering the sales at the margins that we need. Has to then build out their plan to say, can we satisfy core sales goals at the margins that we need? Do we have to have the right people, the right the right vendors? You know, all of those questions that are are based inside of that. Then what you do is then you hand it to your CFO who builds out the overhead, and then you have then at least a target net income and, and normalized EBITDA. Then it's it's a math equation to to connect your balance sheet and your cash flow statement, all three of those together. Then you project all three of those financial statements out for twelve months so you can truly see your cash position in every single month based on what you think you're gonna do your distributions your taxes and what you're gonna do with that cash and then for for years two through five or two through that twenty
0: thirty you're making some higher level assumptions you know one one of the things that comes to mind in in saying this is it is it's a tremendous amount of work to do this kind of planning, but if you don't do that kind of planning you're you're pretty much Guessing. There's one saying that that a battle plan is 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 only good until you get onto the battlefield. But still, you have to come into it with some some thought and some thorough thought.
1: And but if you think about it, a battle plan is the battle plan is to win.
0: Right? Yeah,
1: there you go. And what happens is what I have found, Corey, like in for the listeners too, man, I still struggle with imposter syndrome, right? Like you and I were talking about that a little bit. Like Man, I sit up in front of presentations. Like I, I have keynote speaking that I do. I speak to Vistage and EO. Like a lot of the entrepreneurs, all like I got off a call from twenty five entrepreneurs I was talking to, and then got on this. And like we have to start with the goal is not a revenue number; mm. it's an equity valuation. And then the next question is, people don't know how valuations are calculated, so then we have to start with like truly understand valuations first.
0: I'm gonna take a moment to just rip in on on some financial prof- professionals. <laughs> I sat down with an investment advisor once, like a broker, somebody who's mm-hmm. who's advising clients. A trader
1: or are they truly like diversified ETF portfolio? Or are they doing planning or trading?
0: Well, no, they were they were actually doing like private placements and mm. putting real money into to companies. And this individual didn't understand what a cap table was <laughs> and how, how it impacted the business. And so I I was just I was blown away. It's
1: okay, man. Like I got shot down pretty hard by a commercial banker because I like just before you and I even continue on this, like, I think we should just say like, this is my opinion, like 5% of advisors in every profession are rock stars. And then there's the mediocre, right? It's the Pareto Mm, principle pretty much. So like there are good professionals in every single designation, commercial banking, wealth management, investment banking, CPAs. Sure. But like the general rule of thumb is it's, I always think it's like the healthcare system here. (laughs) It's like no one cares. Mm. You have to be the person that is guiding everybody because you might get a back fuse or a replaced knee or this or that if you're not careful.
0: Yeah, you got to be your your own advocate. So 100%. Back to my point. What I wanted to point out there is that and I, I'm totally biased because my background has been in, in finance, but is it's just the importance of, of really understanding and and not being afraid of asking what could be perceived as stupid questions in with those that you trust, right? Because I mean, oh. if you look and you don't understand how to, to value your company as an entrepreneur, and we're talking real dollars, right? Whether it be a million bucks or 10 or 50 million bucks, you need to understand how that happens. And yeah, I think it's, it's, right. it's really valuable to, to take the time to, to wrap your head around that and then put together the plan to go after because I think it's very simple to say, yes, let's drive for this revenue number. Because I know that I can, generally, I, I've got a 15% margin at the end of the year. I'm like, okay, well, what does that actually result in?
1: Mean, right? Like, dude, like we were selling millions of dollars at Capriors, Corey, every month. And towards the end, we were selling them 20% below cost. Mm. So I'm like, oh, $20 million. Who gives a shit? Seriously. yeah. yeah. And like, but if the follow up question is, well, we do that to get the maintenance agreements that are five year locked in finance contracts at 40% margin. There's a math equation to say, like back to your original point, Corey, if without understanding this stuff, like, how do you answer the most important question is, is it worth it for you to be doing this right now? Mm, Yeah. If you can't clearly say, Hey, I know I'm going to be rewarded for this in these kind of numbers. You're just. Guessing, man. Like, yeah. and and to your point about again, I was a copy or sales rep with a D in financial accounting. I just want to constantly be bringing that back. Like, I learned this stuff. It's possible. And like, I was the kid in class. I was a terrible student. It's like, why, 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 why? And then I just constantly get the because, Ryan. Because, quit being so talkative. Quit, quit moving around. But the thing is, the why is the best question for every entrepreneur, and they always have that question. And what I have found, Corey, and It's this weird kind of like the finance versus operations example I gave. The smartest technical people in this realm are generally not entrepreneurs. They're technicians and they're brilliant technicians. Mm. But what happens is it gets too like baked in the academia of like the practicality of this stuff. Like I'm going to give you an example too, because I was on this call, a friend of mine's uh, working on a buyout with his partner. Okay. So... The, the valuation advisor, which I could have reached through the, through, through the Zoom and just punched this doofus in the face. like It was like he was just puking up a textbook to me. I'm like, dude, I get it. I know how valuations work. I teach this stuff. I'm not a certified valuation. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. Like, I just understand how this stuff works. Yep. And so they do the enter- multiple of EBITDA, right? So they got to this enterprise and then equity value. Well, they had $2 million of excess cash in their accounts from the PPP and the ERC and all this stuff. So the valuation advisor discounts the value of the company for minority control. So like, are you familiar with this? Should I keep going with this minority? So listen to this. I'll just tell you the story as it happened. So I'm like, okay. So first of all, I'm like, there's two huge concepts that are just absolutely like flat wrong. So he had discounted. So they, let's say hypothetically, I'm just going to use some fictitious numbers. Let's say it was a five million dollar equity valued company, and they had excess cash. So then it was, let's say it was seven million dollars in equity value because the working capital is cash, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. The, the checking they've already paid taxes on it. It's in their bank account. Yeah. So it's part of the net worth statement of the you know the the, the equity value of the company. But the true, enter like the equity value is the $5 million, but they had excess working capital. Yeah, yeah. Of $2 bucks, Add on the cash. The valuation advisor, first of all, says, well, we're going to give a minority discount for the lack of liquidity and lack of control on the whole thing, Corey. Even the $2 million in excess cash. And I'm like, hey, dude, that's already been paid tax and they're 50-50 owners right now. Why wouldn't they just take that money 50-50 today? Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, they could. He's like- I'm like, so you're gonna discount that his my friend's cash by 35% because of what? He's like, well, and he just rips off this tax. I'm like, no, dude, like they paid taxes on it. Their working capital is five million, five hundred grand, and they have 2.5. They have each have an extra million bucks. Why would he discount his own money? And he like this guy couldn't answer me, Corey. And then I was like, I'm like, so the first of all, like working capital should not be part of a discounted minority discount. And then I was like, hey can I just ask you a question, man? He's like, sure. I'm like, so his partner who's 50-50 with him, his partner's buying his shares, right, dude? He's like, yeah. I'm like, so he's going from a minority position to a majority controlling position, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, why would it be discounted? He's like, oh, I see your point. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, you almost just cost my friend like one and a half million dollars.
0: Yeah. Yeah what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. I learned from a, a mentor in the real estate space who we're an evaluation on a property and get the evaluator in, get a number back. I was like, oh shit. Right. Like would be nice to be higher. You're right. So I sat down with him and he's like, oh, he's like, oh no, no, no. He's like, you got to understand every one of those is very, very susceptible to to suggestion fluid very fluid yeah fluid right like oh no i see where you're coming at this you know you're you're comping it on this have you considered this and this and then you provide and then oh oh there's three million (laughs) bucks so you know and, and that's that's you know one of the ways you can you can increase valuations is sitting there and, and listen I mean there's there's a difference between being like I really need this so I can get this mortgage no 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 that's not how you approach it you approach it with a very methodical and sound explanation and they look at it a different way yeah it sounds like this valuator kind of got their head stuck in a position where they couldn't really see outside of of or they couldn't see full context what was going on there yeah. And, and I mean, the, the point is, is that you got to question everything.
1: Amen, dude. Like that, that, if there's one like phrase that would like be on my grave, <laughs> it's like question everything. Again, why? Yeah. If you think about it as an entrepreneur, like, why is it worth this? Oh. Yeah, like, how am I supposed to answer the most important question of is this worth it or not? If I don't know how valuations work, and it's taken me ten years, everybody, to figure this out. Like, so this is not something that I just like woke up one day and understood. It was being screwed over or not in control, and the most important decisions of my life. Just guessing, and to yeah. your point, Corey, it's like there's this is where, going back to my point of the finance versus operations. Like, so many of the entrepreneurs I know, they know exactly what questions they have, Corey. If I did this, this, and this, how would it impact cash? And can it be worth it? Like, that's a very valid question. They're not getting the data put in a way that makes sense to a story for them to make the decisions important, That the, the important decisions. And so like this valuation advisor, I'm like, hey, dude, like, where's your practice? Like, what do you usually do valuations for? Oh, yeah. Well, 50% of them is divorce. So it's a battle to the brawl. Like, it's a full-on brawl yeah, yeah. of like, what's, what's not in the operating agreement? So we can screw each other over and I can take your working capital. It's not the... Hey, this is a normal business cordial. We need normal capital. Like, you know what I mean? It was like so it was all like a litigious, if that's the right word, yeah, approach versus like, hey, this is a business that has three statements that has working capital and needs to grow operationally. It was like no sense of practical.
0: Yeah, very different very different mindset. Yeah. I think the lesson there is like, you know, really you gotta kinda understand, and even understand the backstory before you know, how conclusions are come to, or, or, you know, numbers are come to, because like you said, there was a million and a half bucks there, you know, that of your friend's money that was on the line. That's a material amount of money for, for, uh, an individual.
1: Yeah. Dude, we walked into our, uh, a golf tournament a year or a, a month after we had sold. Just me and my dad and our CPA. were walking in the morning of the tournament and the CPA looks at my dad and, I and says, Hey guys. I think you guys actually uh, just as a heads up. I think you're gonna owe an extra like a extra like about nine hundred grand in taxes. So we'll we'll figure that out after the golf tournament. Like no joke, dude. Serious story. Like the fact that we did not take out our golf clubs and beat him with them. It's like this is knowable stuff. Like how how did this happen? Like that is a potential retirement decision. A number. You know what I mean? Like should oh, I yeah. or should I not retire or not? Yeah. And so to your point, Corey, it's like. I hated numbers and finance, but when you realize that, like, dude, this is the language of business, you know, it's the history that you can see history in a different way of telling the story. Yeah, It's like, I've never met an entrepreneur, Corey, or like, you know, someone that's investing, like that doesn't know how to tell one hell of a story of where they've been, where they are and where they're going. They've got a great story. You know what my follow-up question is? Prove it. Mm. Prove it's in the numbers. Yeah. It is what it is. Like for if you want to tell one good story, it's like to your point of like, how much is getting allocated? Where am I? If you don't know that's the question to ask, then it's just going to happen to you instead of you having your fingers involved in how it's actually being done.
0: You know, another point that I think we should all keep in mind is thinking and like and being preemptive two or three years in advance. You know, things do change, but being preemptive and being aware of tax consequences and of, you know, different cash flow issues that are going to come up And really keeping those in mind because yeah, you can, you can find yourself behind the eight ball and, and even 12 months is sometimes not enough to course correct and to, you know, find the capital you need to overcome a certain hurdle that, that you kind of knew was coming. You're spot on, dude. And
1: like, Corey, like, yeah. Guess what's uncertain? Everything. Tomorrow is uncertain. Like when I get off this call, I could trip and fall down the stairs. <laughs> you know, And that, that, like all of my plans go through the window. That is not an a valid argument to not plan. Oh yeah. Right? Like yeah. you have to, like, if you had, like going back to my point, if your target equity valuation is 10 million in 2030, you reverse engineer, you can truly see all three financial statements, your income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow statement tied to that and what you need to do. Well, Perfect example The the presentation I just got off of was one with me and my buddy and uh, client, e-commerce business. He he actually told the COVID story about how financials with the data like that he made all these decisions with. Well, they have retail and they had online. Well, his question was like, they have like a hundred and some employees. Like, should I shut them down? Should I furlough them? All of the things that we all dealt with. Well, because he had the data and he's like, well... We have enough cash over the next eighteen months, based on what we're trying to do. And what they did is they doubled down on Facebook ads because everybody shut off their ad spend. Mm. So he grabbed market share in COVID like you'd never seen, dude. And like he's like one of three providers in this category. Yeah. So he bought up market share, scaled up, and now he's got two different multi-million dollar lines of business that he created over the last like twenty-five months, essentially. But like to your point, something happened. He looked at his plan. He said, well, what should I do about what happened? Hmm. And then he had a a gauge, a framework to make decisions so he could get to his goals faster or keep on track.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, but still kind of keep aligned or in line and very interesting. You've now with Arcona, you've built up a really interesting business. And I'm curious, I want to change gears to get a a feel for how you've been building that. And we touched base on a bit about talking podcast and you're, you're hitting 300 some episodes, Talk to me about that, about the marketing and the sales of that company and how you're getting out there.
1: Well, absolutely. First of all, I will never start another business.
0: <laughs> no. So
1: turning around a business that has an infrastructure is one set of challenges. And I thought that that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Then I had twin girls. That's another set of hardest yeah. thing that I've ever done. And the other thing I would say, Corey, is building a business from scratch without taking any like outside major outside funding. Holy shit, man, is the hardest. I mean, it's so hard, dude. And especially in my business model structure. So kind of give you the the overview and then you can figure out how you want to dive into this. But so after we sold and went into the investment management for like 18 months, understood finance and money, Then I went in and started consulting for like, call it like four years, flop around great. No idea what I wanted to do. I was consulting, truly just trying to help my entrepreneur friends. Like, hey, let's like, it was a lot of like turnaround, fix up the business. But I found myself spending a disproportionate amount of time explaining how things work so we could get to the important decisions. Hmm. So it's like, If you think about it, like a lot of stuff we've been talking about, right? To like, it's like, all right, well, my buddy Corey wants to like keep working and he's got to figure out how to like roll out this ERP system or buy this company. Like, so then we'd have to be like, all right, Corey, like valuations, here's how this works. Here's like, then we can figure out, should you do what you want to do or not? Like, I don't know, but like we have to get to a level set of conversation, like topics. So for years I was doing that just consulting and you know what I did? I said, you know, first of all, I like, when we sold the business, I was 27, like no one was going to believe me in the story that we had. I mean, like, dude, we were barely making payroll, a quarter million dollar payroll every two weeks while we were selling the business or while we were turning the business around. No line of credit. We were financing our receivables and the bank was trying to kick us out. My point is, like, I went through all that by the time I was 27. And so, honestly, I was sitting there. I'm like, I love money, I love business. I have to talk about this stuff to get to the real good conversations. And I was sitting on the beach in Fort Lauderdale with my wife in 2015. And I was like, this podcast thing, what the hell is this? And I'm like, wait a second. All I do have to do is ask super smart people to come talk to me for an hour and they do it for free. Like this is a no brainer. (laughs) Mm. That was it, buddy. Like truly it was like, that was like the entire thesis. And I'm like, I'm super curious. I have a lot of passion. At that point, it was an unhealthy amount of resentment towards the situation that I've been through. Mm. Talk to me
0: about that because I went through that as well after a certain business failure, frankly. And it took me a while to work through it. And now super grateful for it. It was a lot of wasted energy. I'll tell you that.
1: Oh, dude. I think that the feeling of resentment is my least favorite emotion. Mm. Like, oh my God. Like I will do anything to avoid resentment. I like, that's why I still not very good at it. But like, because I don't like conflict, but I will burst through that conflict In order to, because like resentment's worse (laughs) than conflict. Yeah, yeah. So I had that because like, I felt like we had worked so damn hard for almost two decades. And then all the advisors made a bunch of money. And then everything that I wanted was dismantled. And I was like, I felt like I got the rug pulled out from underneath me. And I was just like, this is not, and I did not get rewarded in a proportion that I thought was worth what I went through. And so this
0: was the, you and your father.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily, it was not, not, my, not, not my dad's fault. I mean, I could definitely argue that I should have been paid more <laughs> at the sale, but like, I'm not concerned about that. It was more of every advisor made six figures or more off of us and no one sat us down and no one cared. Kind of like the whole doctor thing. Mm. No one cared as much as we cared. And I learned that the really hard way. And I was naive that everybody just, I just thought that because like, I care a lot and I thought everybody else should care about what everybody else wants the most. And I just got totally taken like I don't know if I would say I got taken advantage of, but it was my naivete that allowed me to be completely out of whack with
0: expectations of what reality really was. And like it hurt man. You know what bit me in the ass was loyalty. Mm-hmm. To a degree blind loyalty and, and just not yeah not opening my eyes to the fact that not everybody's as loyal as I was.
1: Amen, Corey. Honestly man, like uh that's it's my loyalty combined with naivete naivete, that everybody should care as much as I do. Everybody does care as much as I do and everybody will work as hard as I do, which is where my loyalty came from. Because I'm like, well, people are working this hard. I'm going to stick with them through and through. Well, I realize that people don't work that hard and they don't care that much, and then I'm just getting screwed. <laughs> and it's just like Yeah. But I don't want that to change my outlook on people. So I still go into relationships, but now I go in them into them or decisions with eyes wide open, knowing mm. here's a set of circumstances. The like out of twenty things that could happen, these five would really suck. But I'm willing to take the risk. Like, you know, Corey, like if we went into a business partnership, we do all this stuff, you could turn out to be a crazy person. I hope that doesn't happen, but I'm still willing to go into this situation knowing that 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 is a potential outcome, but then I will be able to see if that's happening. So it's just like this little, here's another like phrase. I can't remember if it was someone on my podcast, Corey, but here's reality and here's expectations. The bigger the gap, the more unhappy you're going to be. Oh yeah. We want to smish those together and have expectations and reality completely in line because then you're going to be happy. In mine we're way off during the sale. So all of that said is the Is the fire in my belly that gave me the passion to start the podcast, find the people, get the hustle? I mean, truly man, it's taken me almost eight years to build the business I wish I would have been able to find and partner with ten years ago.
0: So that's the why I'm doing it. How much of your kind of your expectations were connected to to youth, connected to not being experienced enough? Probably less than five percent.:
1: Really. Okay. Here's why I'm going to answer it like that is because I teach people that are 70 years old this shit and they don't know it. So how can that be true that one person that's 71 person that's 25 don't know the same stuff. Can we blame it on youth? <laughs> Apparently not. I mean, so if old people still don't know know this stuff, then what of it was attributed to youth? The naive I was naive. <laughs> I don't know how to say the other version naivety. of that. Yeah. Right. Is, was tied to youth of, Me thinking everybody had our best interest in mind all the time. Absolutely that was related to youth. But like I'm sitting in there, you should see people's face when like I'm sitting there in the middle of like multi, multi multi-million dollar deals and I'm in a t-shirt in my basement. I'm 36 years old and everybody else is, you know, 55 or 60, and I'm having these conversations about deal structures and value. It has nothing to do with youth. It has to do with a, a tenacity to learn and like realize that this stuff is that important to learn. But I don't think what I went through is mainly because of youth.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I ask because I, when I look back on myself, I definitely, I think that in a way I hadn't at, at my age when I was, yeah, I was kind of the same age, like late twenties, early thirties where I had a really good run and then a really big fall. And when I look back, I think some of the, there was blind ambition that wasn't rooted in the hard lessons of life.
1: Oh Yeah. I've I definitely done that dude.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so when, when I look back and even some of the resentments that I had for some past experiences, I look back now and go, ah, okay. No, I, I think not that I think like, I know I was, I was off base there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why I asked the question.
1: So I want to tell you like to reciprocate, cause I, I agree, man. And like, let me well, I'll clarify that the 5% or less Was the mechanical things that we're talking about that I just didn't understand. Okay. As it relates to youth, things that uh, definitely (laughs) are a thing so one is I do the amount of the amount of stories that I have of thinking back and memories Corey of like being in an executive meeting or in a bank meeting or a CPA meeting and the stuff that I said as an early 20 year old mm. in those meetings I still get a stomachache I'm like I can't believe I said that kind of stuff Yeah, yeah. like so like th- that list is enormously long and then <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm a lot more tactful and graceful in certain situations now I'm still more of a bull in a China shop, but yeah. I do it with passion and a little bit of self-deprecation that hopefully is like muting some of the, you know, passion. But the other thing I would say that blind ambition really screwed me over with was the last seven or eight years, man, like I had such an ambition to solve the problem that I went through that I mean, I have gone through multiple one fail a couple definition of failed that I would say definitely did not work out. Lawsuits. And I could have definitely done some different things with my time and capital Mm. instead of just stubbornly blindly believing like everybody cares about this problem when for years and years they chose not to listen. So I should have like, cut my losses and probably done something else yeah yeah. it's now really working but like that was more i'm still in the race because of stubbornness and stupidity (laughs) and it's gonna pay off than it is because i was really smart at some point in time
0: let's talk let's talk about your podcast we touched on it just like before we we clicked record but man it's like as i was saying my biggest regret about this podcast is not starting it soon enough uh, or not starting it earlier What are some of the most memorable points you've taken from your podcast and some of the guests you've had on and the lessons you've learned?
1: So many, man. Like one is that we're all people, dude. Mm. I think COVID helped a little bit, but a little bit more of like kind of the equalization of everybody. Like, you know, Simon Sinek is sitting there in his, in his stairs doing a webinar, right? Like my point is like, it kind of like, like the, the podcast helped me be like talking to someone where it wasn't professional and like a keynote, like I, I got exposure to people that are just people mm. and they're telling their story. Right. And so like that gave me more confidence to do hard things, you know, cause it's like, Hey,
0: that's a good point. It's, you know, I noticed that definitely in, in, in the recordings we were doing when you connect with these people who very, very successful. With the exception of a billionaire who was sitting on his hundred and ten million dollar yacht. The vast majority of of guests that I've had who are you know very successful in their own right, especially during the COVID times, just everyone came down down to earth. Mm-hmm. The posturing and the the pomp wasn't there. It was like we're just mm-hmm. shit. I'm stuck at home and I'm wearing sweatpants. Right, and it was just okay. And it was so it was a neat thing to see. Mm-hmm. and bring us all back to being just people again
1: right dude and i'll expand on that same concept of what it's done for me the show is like when do when you throw up numbers of like so and so sold their company for 150 million dollars or like i've had multiple billionaires on my show too like that's a lot of money like oh god yeah like that's a that like i'm not shaking a stick even like dude millions of dollars that's a lot of money a lot for me Corey. like I never, because I was such a bad student, like I had already mentioned, I didn't know how the steps happened to create that. Mm. But then like what has happened to me is like, I can be sitting on a call with someone that maybe they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars and I can look at them and go, I actually understand the choices that they're making to generate that kind of wealth. I'm not jealous of their life at all. Like, honestly, like, so I don't have this like, intimidation or fear or jealousy towards money. Like I used to, cause I never knew how it was made. It was just like people just sell and work harder. It's like, no uh. people are smart and they deploy it and then they make risky decisions or do certain things. And so you get to hear the, instead of like, hey, we look at Phil Knight. He's a billionaire. He owns, he's founder of Nike. Well, if you read Shoe Dog, that son of a gun went through that. Such a good hell. book, man. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? He went through hell for like 40 years. Yes. He deserves that money, man.
0: I don't want that kind of hell for 40 years. So like, good for him. I just want to build on that, man. Like, really good book, Shoe Dog. I definitely recommend it to our listeners. Another example would be Chip Wilson, who created Lululemon. Now, before that, he had West Beach out of Vancouver, which the day he sold it, he couldn't make payroll, (laughs) like he was scrambling to make payroll because of cash flow. And now, so he took that experience and created Lululemon, but it's like, it wasn't just a, it wasn't easy, a smooth ride. Like, you know, Hey, we had some exponential growth and and now I'm a billionaire and I have a massive house. No, 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 no. It was, it was a grind every single day. There's no perfect business. I look at that and, and frankly, I look at where, you know, where I'm at right now and looking into my future and I'm like, ah, (laughs) do I really have it in me to go through like 20 years of hell to, with an attempt of putting a hundred mil to more in the bank? I'm like, oh man, I think I'm going to go skiing. Yeah. So, so hats off to those individuals, but I think it's very important that we all keep that in mind. Totally
1: Corey. And like, Another thing that the podcast, and I'm a tenacious audiobook learner or listener too, and like I say all that because your definition of success, man, might be different than mine, and like why would we ever compare our- ourselves? Like that doesn't make any sense
0: because we're human,
1: <laughs> right? It, it, but I agreed, and like my my question, but like how I, because I still do it, by the way, for sure, is like I have a like. The great equalizer is time, man. You have 168 hours a week, and so do I. No one can argue with that. Yeah. And then you know what? The other great equalizer is capital. So what are you going to do with your capital and your time? That's it. Mm. And then and then the energy. Like, what do you want to think about every week? So like, my point about bringing this up is, I watched this uh, guy speak, and he was a big corporate exec, and like he talks about like I went to this school and grinding away, and then he you know he's worth all his money. Some entrepreneur gets up in the crowd and says, "Hey." how did you manage your life along the way? Mm. Great question, man. I was like, dude, nice. His answer was I was there for the important stuff. I'm like, oh, you f- totally suck as a fit family person mm. for sure. And he like, he counted on like one hand how many sports events he went into, but like, I don't know what his expect, his expectations for his life were. If that is truly what he set out to do and he talked to his wife about that, talked to his kids about it and said, for 40 years, I'm going to grind away. Here's the goal. Here's what we're going to do. And he succeeded against his goal. More power to you. But it's the yeah. expectations versus reality of like, you expected to have all the family time while doing this. You're just. Again, the gap of expectations, reality is huge,
0: and you're just lying to everybody else that you're managing it all correctly. And you're not. I don't want to bring politics into this, but it reminds me of Trump who said, "Yeah, I'm a great provider, <laughs> like meaning, yeah, I got lots of dough for them, and maybe that's it, right? And so I guess teach their own
1: right, but that that's where it goes like back to your question about the podcast. I then try to fully understand what expectations people have for themselves, financially, professionally. Personal growth, exercise, all you know, and their family, and say, okay, here are your constraints, Corey. You've told me all your constraints. Mm. You have a family. You have these, like you have all of these obligations, or what you've chosen to have as obligations. And here's how you're managing your constraints against that long-term goal. Like I don't get, I don't care what you're doing or not, but I'm just like, are you? I'm going to support you based on what you're trying to accomplish. That's it. Like I'm not going to hold any kind of like you know ruler or stick to say like you're better or worse than me. Cause it's not even, I know we're all human, but it's still not, not the right, it's a false question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. This is question popping to mind and I'm looking at time, man. Like we just ripped through an hour. <laughs> Give me some books. What do you enjoy? What have you, what have you read? What have you recently completed where you're like, ah, that was, that was a good book worth mentioning.
1: Okay. So I'll do a couple, cause I like all different designation or like different. So I like psychology, I like macro finance and economics and business. So One of my, as far as it relates to economics and finance, Ray Dalio's Changing World Order.
0: Oh, yeah. I love his his reach back to history, even going back to like the Dutch empires. It's just...
1: Oh, Corey, I found myself like now like researching history. I'm like, I hated history as a kid. Now I'm sitting there going like capitalism was invented in the Netherlands. Like how interesting. (laughs) But so Changing World Order, Conscious Capitalism is a book that changed how I view business. Hmm. Conscious Capitalism essentially... Like I used to think you had to like to do good in the world, you had to be a charity and nonprofit and sacrifice all the wealth. And then business was Milton Friedman, shareholder value at all costs. Conscious capitalism is like a whole book that like you can grow wealth while taking care of all your stakeholders and it actually outperforms everything else. I want to build on that.
0: I haven't, I might've heard of the book. I haven't read it, but it's when people and not to get too deep into politics, but socialists and, and versus, you know, capitalists and on and on and on if everybody could just come to to sit down and say let's define capitalism because right now we're almost facing a form of like of corporatism of this almost fascist kind of forcing
1: it's crony capitalism our hand it's like oh
2: yeah
0: in huge multi multinational corporations whereas If you look at the capitalists, like just listen to a great podcast of Joe Rogan with this guy, Will Harris, I think. Oh, that is an awesome Will Harris from White Oak Farms. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) But what a a beautiful example of conscious capitalism. Amen, dude. Of going out there and capitalizing on delivering people very clean, well-produced meats that that is capitalism in its finest. And I wish that we could all... Gather around that, but capitalism's become a four letter word.
1: I know, which is so sad, dude. Like, and, and like, you and I could do a 10 hour podcast on this topic because this is like really one of my other big passions, Corey, is tying motivations to outcomes towards a goal. Mm. And like, not again, not to digress too much, but just to kind of prove your point like, private equity, all of their revenue is carried interest, which is capital gains. Like, I'm sorry, F off. I, mm. ordinary income, while I've grown my company, and because you have more lobbyists. By the way, like, in the whole, ta- the chips bill for the Democrats, so usually you would think, well, Republicans are all about the corporate grade, whatever the narrative is today. Yeah. And, you know, the Democrats or the labor union, well, first of all, like, not, I mean, they literally, like, got rid of it. They kept carried interest as a capital gains at the last second. Like they're both bought. Like, so my point Yo, is yeah, that yeah. it's crony capitalism. Like, but I grew up and the reason my dad and I have business and I'm an entrepreneur is you get rewarded for your hard work. God bless America. Yeah. But what happens is you got people that have got an endless pocketbook with the idiots, you know, in our government. And it's like, well, duh, like all of the rules that they're, the margin, all this stuff that they're doing doesn't apply to someone that still has to generate enough cash flow to pay the payroll for my employees. I have to get a line of credit from a traditional bank. I can't just go to the public markets and burn $2 billion once a quarter as Peloton. And I can't figure out whether I want to make bikes or be a content company. <laughs> it's just absurd. Yeah. So I, I love I love your point. And like, so conscious capitalism, changing world order. And then I would say, uh, God, from psychology, I just love like understanding how the brain works. So like anything that has to do with psychology... There's another good business book that I picked up recently called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Hmm. Wonderful book about leveraging and finding good people in your life, in your business, hmm. and leveraging the people. I would highly recommend that one.
0: Nice one. Awesome, man. Thank you for those recommendations. Let's aim to wrap this up. We're, we just crossed an hour. If you were to give some final thoughts from the experience and the work you do now for entrepreneurs and for those who are facing financial events. Yeah. Any final thoughts?
1: If you can't clearly answer the question, what would make all of this worth it for you? Hmm. You got some work to do.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's financially, professionally with your job. There's a lot of layers to what is it worth it? But like most people can't answer that, man. And then like, cause that, that'll help you clarify that target, like that longer term goal to say like, Hey, well, financially, what is it going to be worth it over time? How do I want to like evolve my role or my job? I mean, like there's so much. I'd say like truly sit down and think what would make everything that you're doing worth it at some point in in time in the future.
0: Yeah. That's a hell of a question. Hell of a way to to end it, man. (laughs) Ryan, thank you so much. Really, I've enjoyed getting to know you and and it's a great conversation.
1: Corey, thanks for having me on the show, man. And listening to the banter. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.